We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. You know, I spent enough time with him uh, watching the tape that hasn't really changed from the press conference other than, again, meeting him in person. And I think there's something about the guy that's, the stoic kind of feel you get from him and serious and locked in and focused and he's ready to go. So I think there's a high ceiling and again, it's just putting him in position to succeed and seeing how high that, that ceiling is. And our coaches are excited about him too, which is, which is really cool. Ah, there we go. Now we got some Paramore happening. Top hour number three. Studs on the ones and twos. I'm Anthony Heron here on Chicago Sports Radio, 670 to score. Taking you up till 10 o'clock tonight. Been uh, enjoying, as always, the music beds, the music selections by Adam Studzinski. And we've certainly been enjoying our time over the last couple of hours, even though a lot of the discussion, a lot of the news that is being discussed has not been all too positive in the sports world during the, the now going on the third month of the baseball lockout, but now we do know that some games will be missed to start off the season. But at least still got the Bulls, who are pretty fun. Certainly got the the NFL combine happening there, and that was the voice of Ryan Poles talking about his impressions of meeting Bears quarterback Justin Fields and, and what that's like and just what his sort of his presence, his countenance is like, his demeanor and I couldn't agree more, and it's good to to hear that description from Ryan Poles about Justin Fields. And frankly, I like the fact that they're not gushing over him to any large extent yet because they don't know the guy yet. That That's the thing that I, I don't quite get. Like folks who, who may take issue with the Bears not falling over themselves for making these big declarations about Justin Fields, they barely know the guy, and they certainly haven't been on the field with him yet. I wouldn't take it as genuine if they just showed up from day one and said that they believe Justin Fields is going to be the greatest quarterback that, that they've ever been around. How would they know that? They haven't seen Justin Fields run their offense. They've barely met with him in person. They haven't been in meeting rooms with him yet. No reason to think that they won't be thoroughly impressed with him because he's a thoroughly impressive football player. He's a thoroughly impressive young man. He's got a thoroughly impressive demeanor. And that's really all Ryan Poles has had a – an ability, had an opportunity to evaluate in person at this point is the demeanor of Justin Fields. And he really seemed impressed with that. So I, I think it's at least genuine by Ryan Poles, by Matt Eberflus, to not go overboard in proclaiming, you know, these, these huge expectations and these proclamations about Justin Fields. Yet now as they're around him more, as they get in the meeting rooms with him and on the practice field with him, and certainly – in the games with him, if he starts impressing them in those veins, then at that point it will be genuine because they will have actually seen it with their own eyes, not just on some film, not just hearing it from somebody else. You know, reportedly Matt Nagy had all kinds of gushing things to say about Justin Fields to Ryan Poles, and that's cool, but Ryan Poles needing to, wanting to see it himself first, Matt Eberflus giving it a moment, taking a breath and wanting to see some of that on his own first, 
I think that makes all the sense in the world. So I don't take issue with them not going overboard with their with their uh, their high praise for Justin Fields, but having positive things to say. And certainly part of that that equation will be the leadership of Matt Eberflus, Bears head coach, who was there in Indian, Indianapolis, is there in Indianapolis right now, but addressed the media today. And one of the first things that he got into was in talking about that most important position, his offensive coordinator and what will be there for Luke Getze, how he has to actually work directly with Justin Fields. And that was one of the first things the media asked Matt Eberflus about. And he addressed his OC, Luke Getze. That's what you know brought me the interest in Luke you know, throughout the whole process. And, and again, I've been in the league, you know, almost 15 years now. So um, those guys you look at and say, man, they're hard to defend. They're, they're very innovative in their first 15. And they're, they're great coming out of halftime. They're, they're really good in situations. And that's what attracted me uh, to Luke. And they, they talked a lot about concepts, both he, Eberflus, and his OC, Luke Getze, about wanting to have concepts in place and not worry as as much as strictly about plays th- themselves. And I think I think that's a really interesting way to view things where, you know, there was this this collection of plays from Matt Nagy. I know a lot of folks right off the bat were really excited about the offensive system, about the plays that he would bring here from Kansas City and obviously that didn't work out. Uh but that being said, to at least be able to come in, educate the players as a whole on the system on game situations on concepts and how those can morph into to other aspects of the offense is very key. Now you, you need, you know, if you're going to do that across the board, you need the players to be kind of, kind of highbrow, you know, you need players who, who can think conceptually on the field. Some players just need to say, you know, a plus B equals C. Some guys are more effective at coloring outside the lines at, at having sight recognitions in certain situations that are better at that, but not everyone, not everyone. Uh, one of the things that Matt Eberflus talked about was just that that all-around approach. You know, what he, as a defensive coach in all this time that he's been coaching the sport of football, playing football, but now he's going to have to, as the head coach, have his approach to this Bears offense, and Matt Eberflus addressed that. You'd be open to learning the system that they're putting in, you know, in terms of this, that part of it. You know, hey, what do we call – outside zone what do we call the duo play what do we call certain plays the this waggle this boot play and then more importantly uh, you have your hands on the style okay and how we do it you know what we're doing is going to be very important in the sequence of how we call plays that's always important on offense or defense but but what's more important is how and then how do you implement that during the course of a of a a life of a season you know starting in our in our first phase one you know, phase two, the you know the voluntary mini camp, going all the way through the summer into training camp. How do you implement that and keep your critical eye on that detail of how? And to me, that's that's really because um, I've been in the offensive room and I've been in the defensive room these last three weeks, and I've also been in the special teams room. And I'm I'm a big guy that likes to go around during the course of the day when they're done meeting in the mornings because that's what we, you know, put our time on the systems in the morning. And I'll go around to all the coaches and ask them, hey, how'd it go? You know, tell me what you guys are doing. And then I get questions that way and get feedback that way from, you know, the O-line coach or the D-line coach or secondary guys or, you know, if it's Tyke or whoever it might be. And uh, I get a lot out of that uh, with those guys. And we have great conversations. So that's where we are right now. That's where they are specifically on on the offensive side. And I I mentioned that 
you know, specifically for the quarterback, Justin Fields, where he's not a proven commodity yet. So I'm not shocked. And, and I think it makes sense where they're not you know, overly effusive with, with the praise and with the expectations there. You do, though, have a proven commodity at linebacker. I think everyone who's seen Roquan Smith play the game of football should have a sense for, for knowing what to expect there. You know what brand of player he has proven himself to be a few years in his professional football career and that's the spot that Matt Eberflus was asked about today as well about where Roquan Smith will fit into his defense we haven't decided it yet yeah that's too, uh, a little bit too early in the process we know he's going to play inside backer I can give you that <laughs> and you know whether you're talking the the mic or the will both positions can end up being in the box and almost you know in some situations strictly being in between the tackles the three technique Definitely a playmaking spot that, that you want in this this one-gap upfield approach to the defense on that outside shoulder of the guard, you know, popularized by Warren Sapp on his way to the Hall of Fame. And that was one thing that Matty Bufus was asked about as well, just what exactly do you expect, do you need from your three technique in this scheme? Yeah, so three technique, you know, you guys have known, you know, the great names of the, of the business is disruptive. You know, you got to be disruptive. You got to be able to do a couple things as a three technique. Number one, you got to win your one on one matchup, okay? And when, when they run zone away from you, you got to be able to stay in the B gap, if I can say it that simple. So th- those, those are the two things we look for. And, and they come in all shapes and sizes, you know, and you, you've seen it. But explosive ath- athletic ability is the number one trait. And it, it might seem odd to to think about it through that lens, that explosive athletic ability, but it comes in all shapes and sizes. You know, every every athlete on the team can be a little bit different. You know, you put me and Adam Studzinski next to each other. I, I told Studs last time we worked there, I, I consider you an athlete. You've run a marathon. You're an athlete, Studs. That doesn't mean I'm not an athlete because I would never in my wildest dreams ever think about running a marathon. But Nor should you. It's stupid. Yeah, it doesn't seem like a great idea. It seems like it's awful for your body, and you just put yourself through a whole bunch. And I'm not sure what you get out of it, but I respect it. I respect people willing to put themselves through things. You tested yourself. You challenged yourself. Uh, remind me, are you ever going to do it again? No, I retired after the last one. Okay, yeah, it's good. I, I knew at mile like 23 or 24 of the last one that I did that I was done. Like I knew, like I was, I, I, I thought to myself, I was like, I have enough physical and mental it took fortitude to mile 23 yeah. or 24 before you made that determination. Yeah. So it, yeah. And I was like, I got enough mental and physical fortitude to get through the end of this race. And that's it. Like, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least whatever it took to get you there, you're there. And hopefully your, your knees and your hips will be the better for it. For the remainder of your days. But athletes are, are built differently, react differently. They, they comes in all shapes and sizes. And so for a three technique, that explosion you want from that position. And he talked about reshaping the bodies. We heard Ryan Poles talking about that in the sound that we played related to the Bears offensive line. Wanting guys to, you know, if they don't necessarily lose weight, but to at least trim up the bodies, lower the body fat percentage. And doesn't necessarily even mean that the guys were necessarily out of shape last year. They were just shaped differently. You know, if there was more mass to the, the way that they operated and there was going to be more gap scheme, more, you know, moving people vertically off the ball, and now it's going to be more of a, a zone concept to, to the offensive line, to the run game, especially that outside zone sort of concept, then you do want quickness. You want the ability to move in unison. You want guys who can quickly and swiftly sort of get up to the next level, operate in space as you're trying to, take over guys at the second and third level. And if there's more of that, 
within this upcoming run scheme, then the bodies should be shaped differently. And so I don't, I don't even take that as something in, in indicating that, that they believe the Bears were out of shape last year, but just bodies are shaped differently just depending on what, what's being asked of them. But to have that be a, a focal point where you're getting the most out of that offensive line, and Ryan Poles talked specifically about you know, having specific sort of expectations for that, things that they will harp on and the details of that. And you know what? The offensive lines I've, that I've been around where, where that's in place, you know, it doesn't always make you definitively you know, amongst the best lines in football, but when you're that size and you carry that type of mass, you can pretty quickly you know, be in a position where if you're not constantly being put on the scale, if you're not constantly being held to a standard, then your, your BMI, your body mass index, can get a little bit out of whack because you're accustomed to su- consuming so many calories to stay you know, at a certain mass to be able to move other grown men against their will. And you know, you got a certain amount of girth to you, then that, that can make that a little more manageable to try to accomplish those things. So, you know, I don't think uh, there, there were no wheels being reinvented by either Ryan Poles or Matt Eberflus from what we heard out of Indianapolis today. But I think on the whole, it was good to hear that that approach that, that each of them was able to communicate. And I think from there, we'll get a better sense for things once, uh, once more transactions end up taking place. And, and Ryan Poles, in, in trying to figure out how he ends up, I suppose, manipulating, not even manipulating the cap because there is some cap space, but how much work he feels the Bears need to do with this roster to enhance it, to add that competitive depth to it. You know, there, there will be challenges there and how you do it financially, how you do it through free agency, how you use the draft for that. And then just in, in seeing that and melding that image together that he has with the image that Matt Eberflus has for the, this Bears team as a whole. So that'll be a really, uh, really intriguing sort of process to see that play out between the two of them. I'm intrigued to see what you guys come up with out there who are listening in right now. I, I've sort of teased this a couple of times that just the, the concept uh, coming off of dovetailing off of where baseball finds itself at the moment. I've been thinking a lot the last couple of days about just sort of the, the cinematic experience and how how moviegoers and how sports fans have sort of adjusted their their view on things over the years and how that's played out in film. And there are movies that, like like I mentioned, Major League is certainly the chief one that comes to mind sort of the the labor versus management, the player versus ownership dynamic that plays out in sports. There've been a, a good amount of movies over the years where that, that example has been. I want to take you through a few of the ones that occur to me, give you my thoughts on it, let Stud share his thoughts on them, hear from you out there as well. You know, not just Major League. I mean, you know, you want to throw Major League 2 in there as well. Of course, all the Major Leagues got worse and worse as they went on, but there's a whole lot of other examples out there for these, these labor versus management films in all sports, all under the sun. Anything that occurs to you that has a, a sport in the midst of it, labor versus management, player versus owner, and which side the movies uh, come out on. We're going to get into that here after a timeout. We'll do that next on Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Selling a little or a lot. 
Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odysseypodcast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash odysseypodcast now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash odysseypodcast. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. All right, you got a minute? Yeah. Take a seat. You can't start Pena first tonight. You'll have to start Hatterberg. Yeah, I don't want to go 15 rounds, Billy. The lineup card is mine, and that's all. Okay, the lineup card is definitely yours. I'm just saying you can't start paying it first. Well, I am starting him at first. I don't think so. He plays for Detroit now. You traded Pena. I mean, wasn't that kind of a jerk move by Billy Bean? You gonna just come in the room? Told your manager what you'd made, what faster move had actually taken place there. Nope. Had to go in and be a jerk about it. Ah, you're not starting paying you. Tell me he's not on team anymore. That's not how you nurture a relationship. We were just playing sound, and Matt Eberflus just talking to it today about nurturing relationships with the staff and some of that kumbaya type stuff. It's not how Billy Bean rolls, apparently. But worked okay. That was the sound. That was the voice of Brad Pitt. And, of course, that was from Moneyball. That was one of the one of the examples that occurred to me of a, a labor versus management movie. And I guess, you know, Moneyball even goes a level deeper than that, than just, you know, sort of straight labor versus management because it's it's really just kind of like the, you know, this this new wave of, of the baseball nerds that, that have come into this thing, you know, about 20 years ago when it happened in Oakland with the A's where they got into sabermetrics and analytics and, just everything that's taken the game over and that has led to some of the adjustments that folks have seen in the game. Some of the things that frankly have made the game less aesthetically pleasing with, with shifts and with the adjustments to the lineup and with the frequency of pitch changing and, you know, in and out of the lineup, how much guys use their bullpen and everything else for matchups. All those things have made teams more effective, 
while at the same time, you know, kind of in that James Harden sort of manner. It's just not, it's not always fun to watch. But in film, this is a movie in Moneyball that a lot of folks enjoyed. I thought it was a, it was a good, it was a well-done movie. I thought it, you know, portrayed things in a fairly realistic manner, which isn't always easy to do in sports movies. But it was more, in my opinion, it was more pro-labor was I'm sorry, it was more pro pro management was Moneyball than it was pro labor. I think, you know, you saw scenes with like, you know, Billy Bean talking to David Justice and, you know, kind of like portraying David Justice as a little bit like the kind of the, the rich, spoiled athlete and some of the guys who maybe thought they had earned their stripes or whatever who were used to doing things a certain way and needed to be kind of set straight before they, they got on board with things. And that, that may be you know, completely realistic to how things played out, but just in in the the tone of the movie, the tone of the movie was more it was more pro management. Now management was kind of locking horns on things too, but I'd say Moneyball was a movie that was more pro management than it was pro labor, more you know pro pro team than it was pro player, uh, just in the way that it played out. Um, I don't know. Like, what did you think about Moneyball? Does was it a movie you're fond of? You know what? It's funny. I actually just saw this for the first time, like last year, last really? summer. I think. Yeah, I don't know why. I just never like. I have a friend that was kept telling me for probably a four year period that I need to see it, <laughs> and I finally did like last summer. Yeah, it was really good. I loved it. I thought it was awesome. I like the whole the whole scene with the the he gets on base. Why do you like this. him? Because he gets on base. Like I thought that was just brilliant. <laughs> and that became that plus like that became a huge mantra for White Sox fans last year with Yaz. Because mm, like right, people people right. were complaining about his average and it was like, uh, well, look at his on base. <laughs> he gets on base. That's why right. we love him. Yeah, that's why we like him, because he gets on base. It is that simple. And it's it's certainly beneficial to to have runners on base when you try to get people across home plate. So Moneyball was one, yeah. I'd say Moneyball is an example of a movie that was more more pro pro management because of the way some of the players are end up being perceived in that movie. Like, All right, let, let's go let's go find the, the young upstart guy to to come in. Um and who Chris Pratt, you know, was one of the guys like, All right, are, are you bad? Are you good? Are you injured? Are you not? We're gonna give you another shot, kid. And you know, I overall enjoyed it. Enjoyed it. But uh, you know, certainly not as much pro pro players it is pro management. Uh, now you know we can switch over to a different sport there. So from a football perspective, football is one of the sports, in my opinion, that it's difficult. There's, in my opinion, there's not a long list of great football movies out there. And part of it is because when you have a sports movie and you actually want to to have scenes that look realistic of the sport being played, it's just really hard to choreograph quality football scenes. But when you do it in a comedic perspective and when you have a, a little bit of a slapsticky sort of uh, sort of take on it, then it doesn't matter as much if the football isn't choreographed that well or doesn't look all that realistic. And frankly, the scenes in the movie The Replacements actually came off, you know, OK from a football perspective. Again, it's, it's really, really hard to make football look real. Like baseball, you can just, you know, you can zoom in on one individual, you know, somebody at a plate or somebody at the mound or that one infielder making a play. It's a lot easier to have the choreography of baseball look realistic. And you don't necessarily have to put actors and, and stunt people in harm's way in the same way as you do with bodies flying around on the football field. But The Replacements is a movie that was certainly, uh, it's, and especially it was, 
because the the management end of it was was almost wallpaper. It was really player versus player, but you certainly did in this labor dispute where the replacement players get called in and Keanu Reeves is the quarterback, you know, from from Ohio State. And he ends up being in a position where it's player versus player. But so I wouldn't even necessarily say this movie was pro management, but certainly anti rich, greedy player in the movie. The replacements, and you, you actually share something that kind of caught me off guard with your thoughts on the replacements, Dad. Yes, this is my favorite. The replacements, I love this movie. It's my favorite Keanu Reeves movie, like by far. I mean, yeah, I, like, I love The Matrix. I love, yeah, yeah I love The Matrix. I love the John Wick movies. I think the John Wick movies are just the epitome of just like kind of shut your brain off a little bit and just right. watch and just watch right. Keanu Reeves shoot people for two hours. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, <clears throat> but I love the replacements, not just because it's got Keanu Reeves in it. I think that the characters are incredible. Like the, mm. just the various characters that they come mm. in with. And there's a lot of famous people in there. Like Orlando Bloom's in there. Right. Uh, John yeah. Favreau's in there. And uh, <laughs> Gene Hackman. Yeah, Gene Hackman the is the coach. Yeah, the uh-huh. whole thing is just completely off the walls. And it's funny you mentioned the 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 like the choreography of the game in there like first of all i i watched this special about the replacements years ago about the making of it and if i remember correctly like i think they actually used like semi-pro players there was a lot of arena football yes. players in the movie yes that's so yeah. it was like they actually used football players to create these games mm-hmm. and so that's why it looks as close to probably on film realistic foot you know obviously it's all choreographed but right you know, it's it's close. Plus, apparently, Keanu Reeves actually has a good arm, and he's actually a lefty, and he actually has a good arm. And I, I talked to Sean Salisbury about that at one point because they actually had Sean Salisbury go in. You know, obviously former NFL quarterback and, and football analyst on TV and radio, and uh, he was still with ESPN at the time. And uh, they had Sean Salisbury go and work with Keanu Reeves specifically just on like his mechanics, his throwing motion, and and trying to you know sort of get him right and have him look like a like a pro quarterback in that movie where you have it depicted as like you got all these these high dollar pro football players, these greedy athletes, the greedy football players who are going on strike looking for more money and you know they don't care about the fans. Shane Falco's one of the the scabs who's coming out there. And I mean really when it comes down to it, I mean in thinking of it through more of a I guess modern kind of context I don't know. I mean, how lovable are the scabs in that movie? Because you do have the players who are out there. They've gone on strike. They're trying to get their extra benefits or their bigger cut of the pie, revenue sharing, whatever it was that was on the line between the players and the football league that was represented in that movie. And here comes Shane Falco off his fishing boat just saying, you know what? They they, they don't need you. I'm going to go take your job. I'd be mad, too. I'd be mad if some scab was coming out there trying to take my job. Also, I mean, think about what was happening with uh, you know, with, with Sean Payton when he was out here quarterbacking for the Bears many moons ago. I mean, you know, there, there were scabs out there who were not viewed fondly when this was legitimately happening around the National Football League, when players were really trying to get free agency, when they were really trying to get a a bigger piece of the revenue sharing pie. So, you know, as cuddly and as fun uh, as uh, a lot of the moments and scenes from the replacements were. Man, these dudes were out here busting picket lines. But, you know, we, we didn't necessarily address it through that lens when the actual movie itself was playing out. It was just about like, all right, let, let's watch the flowing locks of Shane Falco and have a good time with the kicker who's out there smoking heaters before he, you know, strikes the place kick through the upright. Nigel's such a great character. Like, I yeah, love him. Like, he's so great. And, and, well, and, and you mentioned the, the players that 
you know, were on strike. And yeah, they never really get into right. why they were on strike, which isn't the important part of the movie. But like uh-huh. they, they do a good job of portraying the players on strike as just like completely terrible people. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like the quarterback that Shane Falco's replacing, whose name escapes me at the moment, is just just a terrible person. Even his name was he had a real hateable name too. I gotta look up what his name was. Maybe the text line could help us out. I don't recall exactly what the what the the name was of that character. It was it was something that just sounded like a real hateable name for that guy who Shane Falco was kinda taken on there. What was the guy's name? I don't know. I'll look it up and see when I check the, the cast for the movie. But yeah. Yeah, they they had, you know, the Keanu Reeves, Orlando Jones, everybody else who was out there. You know, he had the, the stickum on the hands. Who was it? Uh, what was his big quote that he had? Uh, Clifford Franklin. Yeah, yeah. Clifford Franklin was the receiver that Orlando Jones played in the movie. And, you know, he had the stickum on his hands. And he made the big catch in one of the games. And he had all his little quotes afterwards and his catchphrases. Like Clifford Franklin, the only one catching it. Clifford Franklin, the only one coming down with it. So there was a lot of fun moments in the movie. And, of course, the uh, the electric slide that takes place a couple of different times there throughout once they finally win the big game because oh, they go with footsteps Falco instead of the old veteran Martel you know, Christ Martel's the name of the quarterback there you go Eddie it's a Martel. very hateable name shout out to the text line for get- also and they corrected us it's Orlando Jones not Orlando Bloom mixed up the, the Orlando yeah, names yeah. And, uh-huh. and oh yeah and they got Madden and Summerall in there too which is just like the whole which makes the whole thing re- even more ridiculous because you have all this like completely ridiculous cast and what's going on and then you have the, the greatest announcing crew maybe of all time <laughs> calling the games yep R.I.P. to the GOAT John Madden no doubt he was uh, him and Summerall in that movie that was a sight to behold but major Hollywood film they, they paid for the best and they got it in the replacements um, so, of course, one of the ones that stands out for, for everybody when we're talking about this topic is, you know, Major League is the first one that really comes to everybody's mind. It's the example that most folks end up using when you have. We win team. one today. That's two in a row. And he's that's your baseball manager. I mean, who, who embodies more of a baseball manager than that? I don't think it can really get much better than the dude from Major League. Uh, it's too bad he wasn't in every movie from there. They decided to have the. The catcher, what was it? Uh, Berkman wasn't the catcher. Berkman was the, the first baseman. But, um, you know, they had the, the catcher and the sequel take over and kind of end up becoming the manager at a certain point. But that was your quintessential labor versus management sports movie where you've got the, the evil lady owner of the baseball team. She doesn't want him to win. And so they basically, to spite her, of course, end up deciding to, to go on this big winning streak at the end. Even the players who weren't interested in playing that hard, they end up playing much better. Like, who was it? Corbin Burnson, I think, was one of the guys, too. Um, that wild thing out there. So there were a lot of great characters in Major League also, and that one was 100%, no doubt, all the way through and through, a pro player vantage point in that movie uh, there was really no pro management aspect to that one at all, which is completely fine because you look at what the Cleveland Indians were dealing with there, the way they kind of depicted it in the movie it was almost like they were being treated like a minor league team anyway. But she wanted to move it to a bigger, better city. We have seen that play out in professional sports a number of different times over the years. We've seen teams with ownership groups that leave in the middle of the night and take all the equipment and go elsewhere with it. So in Major League, there were some aspects of that that – you could say, did mirror some of the situations we've seen over the years. And, of course, a lot of the discussion about tanking that's come up in various sports and the process and everything over the years 
that's the type of squad you would try to field. You, you would go get Willie Mays Hayes, who was sleeping on a cot somewhere outside the workout, and say, you know what, you're fast. We don't know if you can play baseball, but you can run. Go ahead and go out there and play on the infield and just bunt some and see how it goes. So a lot of those things that obviously from a, a cinematic perspective, some of that is, is all hyped up for a, for a Hollywood storyline. But that's probably the, the quintessential labor versus management kind of sports movie that most people end up thinking of. You got any other ideas out there? Three one two six four four six seven six seven. I do see some other ones coming in on the text line, like Varsity Blues. That's out there as well. Um, oh, was Eddie Martell? Was that the the manager in Major League? No, no, that was the quarterback we were talking about. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, Martell from uh, uh from the the other from the replacements. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, varsity Varsity Blues. I guess I could see Varsity Blues in a labor versus management kind of concept because it's the coach itself. It's a high school team, so it's not necessarily where the team is owned by a management group. But you do have that that same sort of construct that's there. Yeah, I, I would agree. The labor versus management vibe is still there for Varsity Blues, even though. And that, so I like the fact that we got the text line the eight one five. They're expanding. You know, the, the conversation beyond just actually having a team ownership lens as thing is being viewed through. There's a few other opportunities, a few other possibilities for how that may play out. Three one two six four four six seven six seven. Um yeah, a couple other ideas that, that are coming in on the text line, a couple other ones that I have as well. Let's take our final time out and come back, stick with this topic. There was actually some Kendall Gill sound we might try to get to as well before we get out of here but a few minutes to go having fun discussing this though labor versus management sports movies we'll stick with this for another segment here as i get ready to say bye-bye we'll do that in a moment here on the score what do we got here read the salvation army band bob fisher who wants to know i'm roy hobbs your new right fielder my what right here scotty carson sent you here right must be nuts where do they find these guys red i'm sure many of you know the sounds of that movie it's the natural robert redford playing roy hobbs now eventually it doesn't start off as a labor versus management storyline in sports and i think if, if we're sensing a theme here the majority of the labor versus management storylines in sports films do play out in baseball movies. Uh, there's been some other suggestions on the line like Varsity Blues that were there as well for a, a football film. I really can't think of any labor versus management basketball movies that have taken place, but The Natural is a, a really good example of it as well because it, it doesn't it doesn't dominate the entire plot, but it kind of develops into that because Robert Redford initially he's this, this wonderful baseball talent. He goes and, and strikes out the the big bopper or whatever they called the Babe Ruth type character that was there early in the movie. So early in the picture, we just see Robert Redford as a pitcher and he shows his great arm and he strikes out the, the big bopper, big whammer, whatever. And then uh, for whatever reason, he's, he's got a, he's got a girlfriend with some, some issues and she shoots him on a train, shoots him in the gut. He survives. And then of course, later in the film, he comes back. He's, much older, he's of retirement age, it seems, as we hear R- Wilford Brimley talking to him about that. Uh, so it seems like at that point, Wilford Brimley not only himself looking to sell uh, advertisement for diabetes, but maybe uh, at that point, Roy, Roy Hobbs is of an age where that should be a concern for him as well. But then eventually, because you have this owner for the team who, for whatever reason, 
even though he wants to make money, he wants to win games. For some reason, though, he's like Darth Vader. He just wants Roy Hobbs to come to the dark side. So that's where the, the labor versus management dynamic in the natural is kind of unique. It's kind of weird. It's based off a book, of course. But this isn't some team owner who, you know, doesn't necessarily want the team to do well. There's just something about this specific baseball player, this seminal baseball talent who he has acquired who is doing well, doing awesome, who for some reason he just doesn't want Roy Hobbs to do very well. I think it was what the the judge was was that particular character uh in the movie played by a well known actor whose name I don't recall. And then you had the Robert Duvall like you know reporter character who's kind of hounding Roy Hobbs all over the place and trying to track him down when he's hanging out with Kim Basinger, trying to track him down when he's hanging out with Glenn Close and you know, Roy Hobbs had a lot of a lot of lady issues, a lot of female issues in his life throughout the movie. So I don't know if that was maybe it's maybe it's more a fatal attraction with uh, with the Glenn Close character in that movie more so than labor versus management. But it seems to suit that because you have a great baseball player in this film who is at odds with ownership, and the the tenor of this movie is certainly certainly ended up being presented as far more pro player than it was pro management in that one. So I think we had a few different examples where even the Varsity Blues example, uh, pro player, anti-management there. Moneyball more, I would say, more pro management, even though management was kind of at odds in that one too. Replacements, kind of the antithesis of that, where the replacements was a movie that was you know more pro player while the players were at odds a little bit, but it wasn't necessarily anti-management in that one either. Certainly Major League, big-time anti-management, very much pro player for the way that all those different Major League movies end up playing out. Now we get to the natural there, very pro player sort of movie also. And another baseball movie that was there as well. And we were talking about various all-star casts uh, for films. And, and actually, I don't know if the studs, the, the natural, is that a movie? Had you, had you seen that one? It was very romanticized, a, a depiction of baseball and its history and everything. Have, have you been into the, the, the natural much in the past? I, uh, I'll be honest with you. I've never seen it. Okay. Yeah. I, yeah. I've, I've I've heard of it certainly, uh, but on like that pulling that clip off YouTube a bit ago was the first time I'd ever seen any scene from the movie. Okay, all right, you were familiar with it, but it wasn't one that you had ever really made a made no. an effort to go. No, with. and you know, like I mentioned earlier, I've never been a huge like baseball romantic kind of mm. guy. Like it, it, that's why I I think that uh, Field of Dreams. Like I never liked that movie that much. I thought it was kind of okay. like just okay. I've only hokey. seen, yeah. Well, yeah, like I only saw it once and I was like, okay, fine. <laughs> like, and maybe I was just too old the first time I saw it, but like okay. I was like, eh, uh, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like that. The, I like that the voice of Darth Vader's in it. Like, that was my biggest <laughs> takeaway. That was your biggest takeaway. Oh, that voice sounds familiar. That guy's about to tell me he's my father before he, right yeah, exactly. he lops my yeah. hand off. Right. I got you. Um, well, yes, it is a very romantic, as as most baseball movies tend to be, very romanticized, very dripping with all kinds of imagery and pageantry and just oozes with all the, the history of the game in most scenes. Uh, and that is, it's really very similar in Eight Men Out. That obviously, of course, is the movie about the Black Sox scandal. That one turns into a labor versus management movie too because you have the best players in the game they are there for the Chicago White Sox, like, you know, Shoeless Joe Jackson and everybody else who are out there they're doing their thing, had an all-star cast with it, and eventually you get to the point where we find out, all right, these guys are getting ready to throw the World Series because they feel like they're not being compensated adequately 
And from there, the trial takes place. And this one, while obviously the players are wrong and they did a bad thing, and, and once the fans realize they did a bad thing, you know, you get the weepy kids out there, you know, making Shoeless Joe feel bad about things and everything else. But somehow, even though, you know, history has told us that they did a bad thing and the, the plot of the movie very accurately depicts that they, you know, not every moment accurately depicted, but at least the story of these guys throwing the World Series and some of them had some misgivings about it and everything else. But in the end, even though they threw the World Series, it still ends up feeling like a very pro player movie, you know, as everything plays out, which is, uh, you know, not exactly what you would think just on the surface that a movie like that would end up doing where you're making a movie about, you know, the, one of the biggest scandals in baseball history, pre-steroids era. It was, it was the Black Sox scandal. That was it. And the movie still is, is pro player in the way that it ended up being depicted, just kind of the, the tenor of everything and how that all played out. So those are the, the, the main examples that occurred to me. We've had some other, some other good ones that, were ended up, uh, that ended up coming in as well. So Slapshot is an example. A few people on the text line, like 708 and the 312, have been putting Slapshot on the text line. I've seen bits and pieces of Slapshot. I've never just sat down and watched Slapshot with Paul Newman from start to finish. And so I don't necessarily have the the complete sort of, you know, idea of everything and all the dynamics of Slapshot in my head. I don't know if that's one you've seen, Studs. I haven't seen that one either. Okay, yeah, I mean, it's hockey, you know. Yeah, yeah, the only hockey movies I like are Mighty Ducks. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, they're also comedies about hockey, so nothing wrong with the Mighty Ducks um, with Emilio Estevez in there. And they, did they restart? Did there Was there a, a Mighty Ducks reboot that came oh, out? Oh, yeah, the... Like one of these streaming services? There's a... Uh, on Disney Plus, there's a series that I think I don't. I think they're getting ready to maybe, oh, maybe film the second season. No, they, the, the first oh. season came out last year. Okay, but it's actually it's actually good. Like I yeah. actually liked it. As someone that okay. really loved the Mighty Ducks movies growing up, mm-hmm. they it's basically like a modern. They bring it into into the modern world where it's it's kind of like the the Mighty Ducks have become this, you know, powerhouse in peewee hockey in Minnesota. And they're like the team that everyone wants to be on. And now there's this kid that gets cut and goes off and decides to start his own team with all these misfits. So they kind of like redirect the misfit Mighty Duck thing against the Mighty Ducks. It's kind of cool. <laughs> and, you know, they bring Emilio Estevez in, of course. And then eventually uh. they bring it. They, they, they make allusions to the, to the old movies too. Like they, there's certain parts that, like, as someone that has seen the 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 original three movies, it, I don't know, countless times. I there are certain parts I was like, oh man, this is really cool. So now, I liked it, it. Have you seen uh, what is it, Cobra, Cobra Kai? Is that the uh, the Karate Kid uh, reboot series? No, I haven't out? seen that because I've never okay. seen I, I've never seen Karate Kid. Oh, you didn't yeah. see the OG Karate Kid <laughs> no, movies? No, I mean I, I know I know you're younger than me, but man, come on, we got to get you watching some of these old 80s. I got a like, blind spot. Movies, I got man. a blind spot for some of those. Like, oh. Yeah, it's just I don't know why. Like I mean, I've seen you know I've seen most of the the movies like that like i've seen you know like i've seen sandlot i mentioned mighty ducks mm. and, you know but i i don't know why i never saw karate kid yeah you, um, at least the first two i would say are worth your time now by that point you know i was i was all in on karate kids so i saw the third one also but uh but this reboot series actually the couple that i've seen were actually even a little bit better than i anticipated i thought it was going to be a complete 
farce, this uh, this reboot series that they came out with. I think maybe it's Netflix or something like that. But actually, the couple I saw weren't half bad. Now, some of that is just the the nostalgic end of things and kind of watching that as well. But, you know, just seeing Ralph Macchio back out there, seeing, you know, whatever, you know, the, the Mr. Lawrence character from Cobra Kai, seeing them out there and the roles are a little bit reversed as far as who's successful and who's doing well in life and who in some ways is kind of the heel in certain scenes. So there, there is a lot of nostalgia that drips from that. And it sounds like Mighty Ducks took a, a similar approach with that also. So I've seen a couple of other submissions coming in, aside from people lighting up studs for all the movies that he hasn't seen yet. Uh, 42, the Jackie Robinson story. I'm not, I mean... I don't take that one as a labor versus management movie, though. I mean, really, labor and management are on the same side. In the you know, Branch, Ricky, Jackie Robinson, they kind of you know crafted this whole situation together. Jackie obviously had a a lot of a lot of racist uh, you know both overtones and undertones and and, acti- and actions he had to put up with. Branch, Ricky was kind of on his side throughout all of it. So, I don't view that one much through the, the labor versus management paradigm, but good movie certainly worth your time and, and a storyline worth uh, worth seeing program labor verse management eh, not so much not so much but appreciate all the submissions no doubt about that and as always appreciate uh, all the guests who were willing and able to join me on the show tonight had lisa byington on earlier in the show talked a lot of basketball with her the voice of the milwaukee bucks the bulls get ready to face them Later on this week, had Bruce Levine on because a lot of the show has been devoted towards the big news in Major League Baseball with the lockout continuing. Games will be missed. You know, right here on 670 to score. Everyone all throughout the day will keep you updated on if any other developments take place. There's so where Bruce Levine on the show talking about that as well. Had a lot of you out here calling in, texting in, and listening. So that is always appreciated, as is Adam Studzinski on the ones and twos for me. Throughout this evening, appreciations and salutations to all of you who experienced this with me this evening. I'm Anthony Hare, and this has been Chicago Sports Radio, 670 School. And here come the pretzels. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one. They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.